Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, we'll be reading verses 19 through 31 this morning. Luke 16, verses 19 through 31, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. He must have had fellowship lunch every day. That'd be nice. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. In your version, it may say the the bosom of Abraham, right next to him. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if anyone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. As you do, please pray with me. Most gracious God and our Father in heaven, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. One of my favorite movies is Gladiator. Uh, Many of you may have seen that movie. It opens with this scene. Uh, They're on the cusp of battle. And this great Roman general, Maximus, is rallying his troops. And one of the most famous lines from that movie is as he is rallying his troops, getting them uh, fired up, getting them uh, to to have courage and strength in battle as they're forming their line. And as he's speaking to them, he says this great line. He says, what you do in this life echoes into eternity. Now his view of eternity and the Roman view of eternity was very different than ours. He imagined running through fields of green, um, but uh, ours will be on streets of gold in heaven. Um, They did not believe in Christ. We know um, 
because of Christ that we have eternity. I was reminded of these words as well uh, this week at the funeral of Virginia Jones. Uh, her and her husband, JB, were longtime members here of Trinity. Uh, we were able to celebrate her life. Uh, she passed away on the 4th of July, the last Saturday. And uh, we're longtime members here at, at Trinity. I was able to, to spend some time with her a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Steve Irby did a great job reminding us of the gospel and why, because of the life of Christ, we have hope that she was no longer in pain, that instead she was with her Savior in eternity. This morning, as we look at this passage in uh, Luke 16, 19 through 31, we'll look at the fact that our eternal destiny hinges on this life and what exactly that means. So let's look at these verses, this uh, pretty famous story that Jesus tells. We're going to compare the rich man and Lazarus in a couple of different categories here. And we're going to start off with their life. So this rich man and his life. You can tell that his life was very self-centered. It was a life of excess. It says that he walked around wearing purple clothing. Now, who do you know is characterized by wearing purple clothing? It's the king. So this man has a very high view of himself walking around in purple. Not only that, it says that he wore fine linen. Uh, most commentators believe that that was speaking about his undergarments. He had the finest undergarments as well under this purple robe that he would wear. Maybe from Egypt, the finest silks from Egypt. But he lived a life of pride. He believed that he was something, maybe even uh, on level with the king. He had these, um, this fine linen, this life of excess. And not only that, he feasted sumptuously every day. It tells us that he was a glutton. Not only did he get his daily bread, but he feasted sumptuously, more than what he needed. He did not follow Christ's teaching that we read in Luke 16, verse 9, a couple of weeks ago, where Christ says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. He didn't focus on using his money for the eternal purposes of God, which we've been talking about for several weeks now. Instead, what he did, he used it on himself. He used it for his own self-indulgence. And Scripture tells us that every day, whenever he came in and out of his home, he saw Lazarus, who was sitting at his gate. So Lazarus wasn't on some street corner somewhere. He wasn't standing at an intersection holding a sign where, where maybe this rich man could avoid him. He was there every single day at his gate. He saw Lazarus day in and day out. No way for him to be ignored. Lazarus, on the other hand, his life was very different. He lived a life of selfless, uh, he, he lived a selfless life, one of pain and one of suffering. The Bible tells us that he laid by the gate. He didn't sit by the gate, he laid by the gate. It tells us that he was probably a cripple. He was probably disabled and could not walk. He was covered in sores, he was sick. He longed to eat the scraps from the table of the rich man, which means that he was constantly hungry. And not only that, to add insult to injury, 
the dogs that this rich man had would lick his sores. You cannot get much lower than what this man, Lazarus, was experiencing. Ironically in this story, or maybe Jesus was telling us a point here, we don't know this rich man's name. He is never, his name is never mentioned in Scripture. But we have Lazarus' name. And ironically, his name means God has helped. God has helped. At this point in the story, that is a very ironic name. You would think that the rich man would be named Lazarus instead of the sick and disabled beggar who has dogs licking his sores. It doesn't really seem that God has helped Lazarus. But as we will see, the name actually fits him perfectly. So they are very different in their life. But we know very well that death is the great equalizer. Because all men die. So Lazarus dies, and what happens? He is, uh, we don't have a coroner's report. We don't know what happened, how he died. Uh, Probably happened at the gate of the rich man. He probably was dead where he was laying. There's no mention of a funeral in Scripture. His body was probably simply disposed of. Um, No one was there to give him a funeral, a proper burial. No one to celebrate his life. On the other hand, when the rich man dies, we don't know the cause of his death either. That's not the point. But he was given a proper burial. He probably had the pomp and circumstance that is usually given to a man of wealth as he dies. Probably had many people coming, people who are wailing, mourning his death. Um, And uh, he was probably honored with a great funeral ceremony and procession. On Friday, uh, there were several of us who went... Uh, to Rest Hills to honor uh, the life and death of Virginia Jones. Uh, It was a small crowd, just a a few friends and family members, a few uh, of her caregivers. As I said earlier, uh, Steve Irby just gave a beautiful message of the gospel and the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, It was a beautiful service. And it was small probably compared to what this rich man experienced. But this is what the rich man got. Now, this Lazarus didn't even get a small ceremony. He received nothing. So in their life was very different. Even in their death, it was very different. And in their eternal destiny, it couldn't have been more different. Lazarus is immediately carried, it says, by the angels to the side of Abraham. Now, my first question was, why Abraham? I thought when we get to heaven, it's St. Peter who is standing there at the pearly gates who is waiting to to bring us into heaven. So why is it Abraham? Have we gotten the jokes all wrong that that we shared there about uh, getting into heaven? Well, we know that Abraham is the father of all who believe, as it says in Romans 4, verse 11. So as Lazarus is ushered into the side of Abraham, there's this great exchange that happens in his life. All his life he suffered, he was poor, but now he is receiving the eternal comforts of heaven. Lazarus' name is fulfilled. God has certainly helped him, and it is beautiful. For Lazarus, it is a dream come true, but for the rich man, his nightmare has just begun. 
Because when the rich man wakes up, he finds that he is in Hades. It is a place of eternal judgment. He is in torment. He is in anguish. Now, is this a description of actual circumstances? One of the questions I had is, is when Jesus is telling this story, is he describing actual uh, places and events? Is this actually what it's going to be like? Because we know Jesus knows these things. Um, We don't know for sure. That's not exactly the point that Jesus is portraying here. He's probably describing this in a way that the people would understand. Um, So we don't know exactly what it's going to be like. The question I had was, when people are in heaven and in hell, are we going to be able to communicate to each other? Is there someone who is suffering torment going to be able to speak to those who are in heaven and saying, please give me comfort? Are we going to be able to see what is going on in each place? Obviously, there will be a great separation. As, uh, as Abraham said, there's a great chasm. I can't imagine the tortures of hell. I can't imagine how much worse it would be knowing that you could see the glories of heaven and knowing that there was no possible way for you to get there. That sounds like complete agony and torture and torment to me. But what Jesus is telling us here is he's telling this story not necessarily to tell us exactly how it will be, but to make a point specifically to the Pharisees. One of the points that he makes here is that we have comfort. What happens to us when we die? We've been going through the catechism. We've been studying uh, the first 30 questions and answers of the Shorter Catechism and the Children's Catechism. We haven't quite gotten to this question yet, but the Catechism does sum up the Bible's teaching on what happens to believers when they die. The question is this, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? And the answer is, the souls of believers are, at their death, made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. We see that with Lazarus here. He immediately is carried by the angels into heaven. And their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. In other words, the souls of believers are immediately carried into heaven. We have that benefit. And our bodies remain here on earth waiting for Christ's second coming. That's why when we buried Virginia Jones, we buried her body. It is still here, awaiting the resurrection. When Christ comes again, we will be reunited to our bodies, and we will have a bodily resurrection, as Christ had a bodily resurrection. But we have this comfort that when we die, we are immediately, immediately ushered into the joys of heaven. So as we compare and contrast these lives of this rich man and of Lazarus, we see how very different they are. And as this rich man is suffering the torments of Hades, the torments of hell, he cries out to Abraham. He cries out for relief. Verses 24 and 25 say this. He says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham says, Child, child, Remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. Now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. 
sounds awful, doesn't it? It just sounds absolutely terrible. It sounds merciless. And in reality, it is. Because God has removed his mercy from this man. And this rich man is now experiencing the judgment of God. And it should sound awful. He is longing for one simple moment. Just one of relief. Just a drop of water on his tongue. But he will not receive it. During his life, he lived in the lap of luxury and of comfort, but not here. Now, Jesus isn't employing these scared straight tactics with the Pharisees. Um, I'm not a big fan of scaring people in that, in that regard. But he is using the awfulness of hell to, un- to have people understand what is going to happen. Yes, we do want to avoid hell. It is awful and it is terrible. It is not something that we would even wish on our worst enemy. It is real and it is everlasting torment. It is awful. Jesus is telling us that this life is final. There is a great chasm that separates heaven and hell and we will not be able to jump that chasm. What we do in this life echoes in eternity, and this life is incredibly urgent. How we live in this life is incredibly important. As Maximus says, what you do in this life echoes in eternity, and death is final. Death is final. When this man realizes that there is no hope for himself, he pleads then on behalf of his family. Suddenly, this man wants to be a a missionary of the gospel, He says, send Lazarus to my father's house. Tell my brothers. Maybe if they see a miracle, maybe if they see somebody raised from the dead, maybe then they will believe. This is how bad it is for this man. He doesn't want anyone else to end up where he is. But once again, his request is denied. Abraham says they don't need a miracle. They don't need a miracle. They have already been given all that they need. Because God has revealed to us all that we need in the scriptures. He said, I have given them Moses and the prophets. Not only do we have Moses and the prophets, we also have the New Testament. We have the very words of Christ. We have the letters of Paul and of others. In Westminster Confession 1.7, it says this, It says, all things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, no, all like clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned but also the unlearned in the due use of ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. What this means is this, is that God has so clearly and plainly laid out his plan of salvation in the scripture, that it is open and available to all of us, both the learned and the unlearned, those who are wise and those who are foolish, to the old and to the young. It is very clear to us, using very ordinary means. We don't need miracles 
to believe the truth that God has revealed to us because we have Scripture. So what? So what does this story teach us then? So it teaches us that this life matters, and it matters tremendously. How we live in this life matters. Why did Lazarus get carried to heaven by the angels so that he is at the side of Abraham, and this rich man instead of wind up in Hades? Simply because the rich man was rich and Lazarus was poor? Was that the reason why? No, not exactly. Although it did have something to do with it. Lazarus believed in God and trusted him where the rich man did not. Now you can say to me, all right, Mike, I read that passage. I heard it when you were reading it. I don't see that in there. I have no idea where this man was. It does not say that Lazarus believed in God. Well, we know that is the case because the rest of Scripture tells us that. It is because of passages like Ephesians 2 that we read for our assurance of pardon this morning. Like John 3.16, that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that if this man was ushered into heaven to the side of Abraham, he trusted in God. And his trust in God was reflected in how he lived his life. And the same with the rich man. His lack of trust in God was reflected in the way that he lived his life. Because the rich man believed that he was the captain of his own soul. He was the master of his own destiny. But that was not true. He was full of pride and arrogance and self-indulgence. He stuck out his tongue. He shook his fist at God. He said, God, you are not king. No, me in my purple robes and in my fine linen, I am king. Romans 1.21 says this, For although he knew God, he did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but he came futile, became futile in his thinking, and his foolish heart was darkened. And so God gave him over. God gave him over. Instead, Lazarus placed his trust in God. Although he suffered in life, he received comfort from God. He lived, Romans 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. I love Romans 8. Do you feel like you're suffering in this life? Well, take heart. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. For we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We see that so clearly in the life of Lazarus. God, through Christ, is making all things new. So here's the question. Do you find yourself being blessed in this life? I think that the answer to that question for all of us is yes, to some degree. All of us fall into the category of being blessed. As we've been looking at Jesus' words over the last few weeks, we've been seeing that how we deal with our wealth is an indication of our hearts. Do we have pride? Are we self-centered? Are we indulgent? Are we gluttonous? Do we have a complete disregard for the poor at our gates? How we handle our wealth 
doesn't determine where we spend eternity. Faith in Christ does. Let me get that very clear. How we handle our wealth doesn't determine where we spend eternity. Our faith in Christ does. But how we handle our finances and our wealth is an indication of our faith and our trust in Christ. Because when we have faith and trust in Christ, we realize that what we have is not our own, that it is God's. Lazarus had faith, which is why he was carried by the angels to the side of Abraham. This is the good news of the gospel. The reason that Lazarus is accepted into heaven is because of Christ, the one telling this story. This is the good news, that Jesus had more riches than this rich man could possibly fathom. That Jesus had all the blessings and the riches of heaven at his disposal. Everything in the world and in the universe is his. But even though Jesus was rich, Jesus made himself poor. Question 27 of the Catechism says this, Wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? Christ's humiliation consisteth in his being born, and that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, cursed death of the cross, in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. Though Christ was rich, he made himself poor. Though he was more rich than this rich man, he made himself even lower than Lazarus. The angels carried Lazarus from the agony of earth to the comfort of heaven because Jesus left the comforts of heaven to experience agony here on the earth. Lazarus is comforted because Christ experienced anguish for us. The same is true for us. Because of Christ, the anguish of this life will give way to the comforts of the next. I know I've been quoting a lot from the Westminster Catechism this morning, but I'm going to close with a quote from the Heidelberg. And as much as I love the Westminster, (laughs) my heart is with the Heidelberg because of this question and answer. And what is our only comfort in life and in death? And I'll just give the short version. It's that that we are not our own, but we belong. That we belong in body and soul, in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is the truth that Lazarus knew. This is the truth. And I pray that we would know this truth as well. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, we thank you for your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, more rich than this rich man could even fathom, he became poor for us so that we might experience the comforts of heaven. That you poured out on him your wrath, so that we might experience your mercy and your peace. And I pray, Lord, that we would put our faith and our trust 
in your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lazarus did. That even though we suffer in this life, we know that we will be carried by the angels to the side of Abraham. Even greater, Lord, that we will experience eternity with you. As we're about to, to sing, we know that we are standing on the cusp of the promised land. And we long for the time when you will come again and that we will be carried to heaven. And we long for that day when we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Amen.